If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 29 through 47. We've been looking at this mini-series, and this morning we want to come to that conclusion. The beginning of the church, and we're looking at part uh, 6. Last week in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 28, uh, the New Testament church has begun. The 120 were in the upper room, and they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit fell in the form of cloven tongues of fire upon the head of each of the 120 in that upper room. They began to speak in unknown languages, understood, as we shared last week, 17, 18 different dialects that those that were outside of the upper room, and they understood as they heard the wonderful works of God and in their language. And so this moved upon them. Jesus had promised the disciples that the Holy Spirit would come. And then Peter uh, took us last week to Joel in chapter 2. 800 years before this day in Jerusalem called Pentecost, the prophecy was given. The religious sect uh, accused the 120 of being drunk with wine. Peter said, how can this be when it's only 9 o'clock in the morning? Traditionally, when the Jews came to temple uh, to celebrate a feast day uh, such as Pentecost, you never drank any wine or ate any food. Before entering the temple, in respect, a time of fasting unto the Lord. Not only did Peter, a simple fisherman, preach from the heart, now filled with the Holy Spirit, he not only quoted from the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2, but from Psalm 16, uh, the Messiah's victory cry. And this morning's teaching, Peter quotes from Psalm 110. Both Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 speak clearly of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, not of King David. How did Peter know this? As the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. As the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. And before we get into the actual study this morning, let me encourage you. The Holy Spirit has been here for the last 2,000 years. We desperately need the Spirit of God to lead me and to guide me into all truth. The Holy Spirit brings conviction in my heart when I stray, when I sin. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts and says, get back in, in, in line. Get back to where God has you, not where the enemy is taking you. And so we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Husbands, as a prophet, priest, king of the home, God has called you to lead and to guide and to direct your family in the spiritual matters. And also the things that we need to know in this world. But you cannot do it properly without the Holy Spirit's leading you. Moms the same way. Especially moms that are single parents. How much more you need the Holy Spirit in your jobs, in your workplace, and in your businesses. How can you run a business? How can you work at a place? Unless the Holy Spirit is leading you. It is so important. It is so important. And so here we come to Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 47. Again, the beginning of, of the New Testament church. Uh, this is part 6. We've been looking at this, and then now, next week, we'll take off even further. And so he begins here in verse 29. Remember, Peter's addressing those outside of the upper room, they had to have gathered. They heard the rumbling. They heard the sounds. Maybe some of them even got a glimpse as they looked up into the upper room and they could see the glow of the tongues of fire upon their head. What is this? What is taking place? What is this phenomena? We've never seen it in Jerusalem. 
It's something new. It's something fresh. And these people would have known about Jesus dying on the cross at Calvary. They would have known that for 40 days he was in their presence. They would have known in Acts chapter 1 that he ascends back into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God, the right hand of majesty. And so imagine the stir that's going on in Jerusalem. And Peter's been addressing them, accused of these being drunk with wine. Peter's addressing that. And he takes it further. Look at verse 29 now. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Peter addresses the men of Judea and Jerusalem, plus our brother Jews of Judea and Jerusalem. Many would have been there at the celebration of Pentecost. Remember that Josephus, the great historian, said this is a major holiday, major feast day. would have been nothing for a million to two million people to be there. All would be here for the feast of, of Pentecost. Peter says, let me be frank with you and also uh, to the patriarchs present. Uh, King David, a man both called to die, uh, to live and to die and to be buried, and that's proof text, David's tomb is with us this day, Peter says. David, uh, being of the tribe of Judah, the founder, if you may, uh, of the royal line of the Messiah, and then Jacob's 12 sons would have been considered the patriarchs, the Jews, and Judaism. And so the reference. Now, uh, Jesus was also of the tribe of Judah. Peter's making a reference to what he shared last week in Psalm 16, which we read. And we read portions uh, last week, and this morning we'll read portions uh, of Psalm 110. They can't speak of King David. He's dead and he's buried. That's the emphasis that Peter's bringing forth. His tomb is with us still today, but it contains bones and ashes. He can't be the Messiah. You see, the Jews knew, the religious Jews knew. They were waiting for Messiah, but Messiah would rise on the third day. And look at verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn uh, with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would rise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Now, one thing I want to mention here, Peter has a captive audience. Notice that we don't hear anybody ridiculing. We don't hear anybody uh, making cat calls or just and coming out at them. But the Spirit of God has their attention. And something has to explain the things that have been taking place uh, in Jerusalem. And so Peter is so quick uh, to bring it forth. Speaking about King David, he was the prophet. He knew God had promised with an oath that one of King David's own descendants would sit on his throne. In other words, from the tribe of Judah, Messiah would come, not David, but Jesus of Nazareth. It was important for Peter to bring this forth. It was important for the Holy Spirit uh, to address it. And so notice, Peter says he, God, would raise up Christ, the Messiah, to sit on his throne. Now go back to Acts 2, verse 22, as we shared last week. Men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved or attested by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Peter was this eyewitness of, of the risen Christ. What about the 120 in the upper room? An eyewitness of the risen Christ. What about those that were being addressed by Peter now? There had to have been people there in Jerusalem that if they weren't present, if they didn't see Jesus in the 40 days post-resurrection, they heard the news. They heard the news, and news traveled fast. 
And when you begin to hear something over and over and over, there has to be some type of truth to it. This is not a hoax. This is not something derived by, you know, a sect that was from uh, the Galilee. And this simple fisherman, where is he getting all of this? Again, Acts 22, or, or Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, approved by God, attested by God uh, to you by miracle signs and wonders. Could you see some of the blind that were there and saying, hey, I was there. I, look at, I can see. Those that were lame, uh, they're at the temple looking to be healed. Hey, that's me. And so they begin to share their stories. And then he goes on to verse 31 now. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that his soul was not to be left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Again, making reference back on my own, David's dead. David was buried. Yeah, his tomb's over there. But it's ashes and bones. But Peter's speaking about the Messiah. And so Peter speaks of King David foreseeing this. He spoke with foreknowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the Messiah. That Jesus, listen, was not deserted. He was not abandoned in death. Nor was he left in Hades or hell, or shield, the state of the departed spirits from the time of Adam in Genesis to the time now up to Christ. Nor did his body know decay or destruction. Peter making reference to last week's teaching. And that's what we drew from in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. We know when Jesus died at Calvary, the hill of the skull, Golgotha in the Greek. He went down to Hades, to Sheol, to hell, according to Luke chapter 16. He was there for three days and three nights. And while there in hell, in Hades, he preached to those in captivity. Please don't forget that in Luke chapter 16, there's this great gulf and there's two compartments. And obviously, one of the compartments is, is Hades, it's Sheol, it's hell. But in the other compartment, it's called Abraham's bosom. And so they were being comforted. And there in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man is suffering in the fires of hell. But he can hear, he can hear and he can sense, he knows what's going on. Because the, the poor man, the beggar, is being comforted being comforted by Abraham. And as Jesus came to preach, those in captivity, three days and three nights, both sides could hear. Remember the rich man? Send somebody to my brothers up on, up, up on earth. I'm burning in these flames. All the senses were working in hell. Now, I want you to do a study. We don't have time this morning. In Matthew chapter 12, especially verse 40, you can read the whole context, but Jesus spoke about Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be. And so that's a prophecy of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 3, again, read the context, but I'm just going to quote from verse 19. Peter speaks about the Messiah would go down into the pit, into Hades, and he would preach to the spirits there in prison. Preach to those in captivity. In captivity. Remember the verse that we shared last week? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, uh, Paul writes, O death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? You see the devil thinking he killed the Messiah. And yet the prophecy was given back in Genesis 3.15 that God would make a provision 
But I want you to listen to this verse. It's in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. When you go back to Isaiah, read the context again because of lacking of time this morning. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who were bound. What a prophecy. What a prophecy. And after three days and three nights, Jesus took those from Abraham's bosom with him. What a picture. What a picture. And so, again, look at the picture of Luke 16. There's a great cavern, a great in-between separates them. The rich man could not go over. Those that were in paradise don't want to go back. They don't want to go to the other side. But they heard the Messiah. Imagine being in hell, being in Hades. All the senses are, are in operation. You have memory. The rich man says, "Somebody, send somebody back uh, to my brothers. They need to know. Remember the, the statement in Luke 16? They have the scriptures. They have the parchments. Uh, they have the preachers. And let's go to today's analogy. They have the churches. They have CDs. They have radio programs. They have television programs. There's no excuse why well, I never heard the gospel. Oh, yes, you have, especially in our United States of America. Uh, look at verse 32 now. This Jesus, Peter goes on, has raised up. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all, and I like to add, eyewitnesses. Because Peter was an, an eyewitness. The Jewish court of law was adapted back in the Old Testament. Those of you coming on Wednesday nights, we, we covered this quite a bit. But it's still a law today in Israel, but also uh, most court systems have adapted this. We have this in our United States of America. We're two or three witnesses. Peter's saying, I was an eyewitness. In 1 Corinthians, I want you to write this down, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I'm just going to paraphrase this. Paul writes, that Jesus, the risen Christ, was seen by Cephas, which is Peter. And then he says, by the 12. But then he says, over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. And then I love, Paul says, and then he was seen by James. I believe that's the half-brother of Jesus. And then Paul says, he was seen by me. That's why Paul says, I'm the apostle born out of due season. Now, when we get to the book of Acts in chapter 9, remember when Saul of Tarsus is knocked off of his animal and he's on the floor, he's blinded, and this light, this brightness, this Shekinah glory. What does Paul say? What does Saul of Tarsus say? Is that you, Lord? How did he recognize that it was the Lord? It was something phenomenal. It was something spiritual. It was something holy. It was something righteous. Is that you, Lord? And Jesus said to him, why do you per persecute me? Now, Paul was not, Saul of Tarsus was not personally persecuting Jesus. But listen, he was persecuting the church. If you're persecuting them, you're persecuting that's why when somebody comes against you, and they will, and somebody's come against me, and they have, we take it personal. Don't take it personal. They're not coming against you, but they're coming against Christ who lives in tabernacles in you. We will face persecution. 
Look at our third world countries today. There is great persecution. And so Peter is giving such a testimony. And again, let's emphasize, nobody's catcalling. Nobody's jeering. Nobody's justing. They're listening intently because something has happened. In verse 33, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Peter's speaking about Christ. Jesus, our Messiah, was exalted. Translation, he was elevated, lifted up. And I want you to listen to the statement, because some of your Bibles say this, not uh, to the right hand of God, as some of your translations but the Greek says, by the right hand of God. That's the correct reading. Then having received the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus as the incarnate God, Jesus received the Holy Spirit, a promise. Not at Pentecost. Listen, the Holy Spirit was always with him. As he had promised, the Father gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, the church, just as you see. And here today, Peter says uh, to the group, now listen, Pentecost was 2,000 years ago, and still the promise of the Holy Spirit is today. Be careful when you'll eventually run into somebody, oh, Pastor Bob, come on, Calvary Chapel uh, person, come on. That happened during the apostolic age. But once the disciples died off, and once the apostles died off, there's no more need of the Holy Spirit. How ludicrous. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. And again, we cannot accomplish the things that we do without the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you know uh, Pastor John MacArthur, Southern California, beautiful teacher, excellent teacher. I will never take anything away from him. I will never deny that he's not called. He's called. And I have some of his commentary. But when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he wants nothing to do with it. In fact, he speaks about tongues as gibberish in his commentary of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I don't have a problem with that. This is the reason. Because John has seen the abuse. But to deny that the Holy Spirit is not here, that's wrong. And he does not do that. And so the Holy Spirit of promise is here. And if it's here, all we have to do is ask uh, to seek and to knock. And the Lord will give you uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, Notice verse 34, 35, and 36. They go together. For David uh, did not ascend into heaven, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's speaking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, and I'll emphasize it, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Again, he has the attention of all those. I, I venture to say Peter is speaking. He's got the floor. The 120, uh, they could be behind him. They could be off to the side. It doesn't matter. But Peter has their attention. It's even ministering to them. This was new. This was fresh. This was formerly a hidden truth, a mystery, but now divinely revealed. How? By the Holy Spirit of God. Same thing happens to us when we read and when we hear, and it's something fresh in our mind. I never heard that. That's the Spirit of God. He's teaching you now. It's being affected. Its purpose is there. And so, this is Psalm 110 that Peter is quoting. Listen, 
Peter's not quoting Psalm 16, as mentioned last week in verse 25. But here is the prophecy given in Psalm 110. David writes of the Messiah so clear. I want you to see this down at the bottom of verse 36, that God has made this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Be careful that we don't go around, and that was a, a term uh, that was for so many years, and I would probably say centuries. They would look at the Jews, and they would say, uh, they're the Jesus killers. They're the Christ killers. If you look at the effect of the cross, Jesus died for all mankind. If you want to look at it deeper, past, present, and future, our sins, my sins, your sins, put Jesus on the cross. In a sense, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. But Jesus has their attention. You have put Jesus on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What a beautiful picture that Jesus would die for us. And a lot of those that were uh, in the early church belonging to the Sanhedrin, the religious sect at the time, many of them came to saving grace. Many of them. I mean, Saul of Tarsus was one of them. We know that Nicodemus was another. Joseph of Arimathea uh, that uh, wanted Jesus to be placed in his family tomb. He was another one. How many more? How many more? And so it's a beautiful picture when you begin to see this now. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, I love this. Now when they heard this, and they were cut to the heart. I want you to think this morning, that day, that moment, that time. Maybe it took three years like it did for me. But at that moment, when the Holy Spirit hit it home to your heart, weren't you pricked to the heart? Weren't you cut to the heart? It finally happened. I, I can honestly say, I know what Peter's speaking about here. When they heard these sayings, uh, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, notice that they weren't jeering and they weren't, you know, accosting Peter of any way or catcalls, as I shared earlier, making just of him. But listen to their statement. Men and brethren, what shall we do? I love that. When there's nothing else left. That's why we lift our hands and we say, I surrender. I give it all to Jesus. But it's not going to happen until the Holy Spirit pricks your heart. And I'll tell you what, if you're open, if you're sincere, the Holy Spirit will do a great job. Listen to the translation of verse 37. Uh, when they, the people outside of the upper room, heard these words of Peter, the King James says that they were pricked uh, to the heart. The translation, pierced through. Pierced through. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, men will cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? That morning in 1979, when I finally gave it all to Christ, I was cut to the heart. And I have to say, since 1976, and I began to read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit was cutting. The Holy Spirit was cutting. The Holy Spirit was pricking the heart. And I would just call it off. I would ignore it, but the pain was there. My wife didn't see it. My coworkers didn't see it. But I struggled that night, and some of you maybe have gone through the same. You cannot deny the Holy Spirit of power. He has come to convict us of sin. And the result, they say to Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? 
There's no hope in us, but there is hope, isn't there? Look at verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. After the Holy Spirit brings strong conviction in my heart and your heart, there must be true repentance. There must be true repentance. And I was always taught true repentance is threefold. A, a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. And the next step after salvation is generally water baptism, full submersion. When Jesus was baptized by John, he came straightway out of the water Matthew 3, verse 16, King James says he came straightway out of the water. If he came straightway out of the water, he straightway went in. Now, I don't have a problem if somebody's not capable of being submerged. We've baptized people in the hospital room, and the doctors say there's no way. We can't have you putting them in a tank. And so we'll take water, and, and I'll pour it over their head as gently as possible. And I, to see the reaction of somebody in the bed that's in the hospital, and possibly they're going to pass away. And for them to ask, they've received Christ already. Pastor Bob, can you water baptize me? I said, sure. Now we look and see. The doctors give us the, uh, the go-ahead, and uh, sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. We poured over his head. We took one of those beddings that they put underneath them, supposed to shield off the water, put it around their neck, and we baptized them, and you see them. Were they baptized? Yes. Well, you know, you got to take them to the ocean. You know, you got to go to the river. Well, go see the real grand. You try to baptize them. You're going to have to roll them. <laughs> now, when we go to Israel, everybody enjoys, even if they've been baptized, they want to be baptized in the Jordan. And it's fun. It's great. I love it. It's cold usually. The water's very cold, and the catfish love to nibble at your toes. It's fun, though. It really is. Verse 39. For the promise is to you and to your children. Man, imagine these guys hearing this. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. And that has to speak about us 2,000 years later. As many as the Lord our God will call. I believe we're all called to salvation. But not everybody responds. Because the universal call is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But, but you see, we're free moral agents. We have to make uh, the choice. Now, I believe also that salvation is to the Jew first. But they rejected the Messiah uh, in a whole. When we get to Acts chapter 10, Peter is sent to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, and not only did salvation come at Cornelius' house, but the Holy Spirit fell. You see, up to that point, I think even Peter thought, it's just for the Jews. According to Romans chapter 11, you and I, the Gentiles, were the grafted-in branch. Praise God. Praise God. Now, be careful that you say God is through with the nation of Israel. No, he's not. They're the apple of his eye. And the Jew, in the time of the tribulation, many of them will come to know the Messiah of Jesus Christ. Now, we come to the conclusion, verses 40 to 47. Very important here. The church has been established. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Peter's preaching the gospel from the Old Testament. And now the Holy Spirit begins to grow the church. 
begins to prosper the church. And I want you to think right now, has the gospel gone throughout the world? Yes. You know, it's interesting. The Internet is, is a lot of problems for a lot of people, and especially for our youth. They get in there, and husbands get in there. Calvary Chapel pastors get in there. We get the reports all the time. And pornography is so available. All it takes is a click. And you're in the back room. Nobody knows. But God knows. But God knows. But at the same time, the Internet has exposed the gospel to so many. In Arab countries where they're prohibited to have anything to do with the Christian church, guess what? In the shelter of their rooms, they're listening to the gospel. They're, li they're listening to the gospel. There's a pastor back east, Yusef, and uh, he preaches in Arabic, and, and they send it out, live stream, and these guys hear it. And we get testimonies of, of uh, Muslims that said, I heard the teaching. And Jesus of Nazareth came into my room. How are you going to say it didn't happen? How can we say, oh, he's crazy? No, something happened. Because they turned their life over to Christ, even to the point of death, persecution, whatever it might be. But look at the church now. In verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, uh, saying, be saved. Uh, from this perverse generation. Be saved from this warped, the Greek says, or this crooked generation. Uh, this was the time of Peter. This was the time of the early church. Can I ask you a question? Is the world perverse? Is it warped and crooked today? You better believe it. You better believe it. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Listen to the explosion here. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What an evangelistic message by Peter. Was it Peter? Peter was the spokesman. Peter was the instrument. Peter was the tool. But it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of promise. In verse 32, and here's the doctrine of the church. This is the doctrine we have adapted here at Calvary Chapel. Most churches should adapt this. In verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, number one, and fellowship, number two, in breaking of bread, number three, and in prayers, number four. Here's the purpose of the church. Doctrine is Bible study. That's what we're doing here this morning. Fellowship is when we tell you, turn around and greet each other. We're going to have the Christmas dinner. We're going to come together. Lots of food will be made available. And you're going to fellowship one with another. Some of you invite some to your home. Some of you uh, maybe uh, had people over that were from the church for Thanksgiving. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. When the men get together, and we have our breakfast, that's fellowship. When the women get together and they have their uh, Mother's Day, they have their teas or whatever it might be, that's fellowship. So notice, number one is doctrine. Number two is fellowship. And number three, breaking bread is the communion service. Prayer is number four. The worship team opens in prayer. Mark or whoever reads the bulletin opens in prayer. And then I come up, open in prayer. I'll conclude in prayer. On Fridays, we have prayer. It's a time that you have to have at the church. Throughout the years when we've had prayer on Friday, generally uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, once in a while somebody will come in. And we put a sign out there in the foyer. And it's just prayer, no arrow pointing, and somebody will come eventually. They'll come in for prayer. Don't raise your hand, but some of you remember back in the day, 
Churches were always open for prayer. We grew up at St. Joseph's Catholic School, Catholic Church, that is. My dad was an alcoholic, and sometimes he'd show up at home. Sometimes he wouldn't. Uh, many times my mom got my sister and I out of bed, and she goes, let's go, 3 o'clock in the morning. I go, Mom, what's going on? Your dad hasn't come home. We're going to go pray. Now, we could have prayed in the living room, but being my mom, she wanted to go. She has to light a candle. And she had to say a prayer. And then I'll never forget it. Mom, we don't have a dime. That was a dime then. I don't know how much it is now. We light a candle. She goes, oh, God knows. All right, Mom. We kept the dime. <laughs> but look at the doctrine, okay? Look at the doctrine. And in all reality, listen, those four essential doctrines should be in your home also. In your home. Dad's. We do it for Christmas, Christmas mornings. We have communion with our kids. We have communion with our kids. Now the kids have all moved out and such, but when we get together with them eventually, we will have communion. It's very important to me. And you've been here. You know what communion is. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, get yourself a cracker, get yourself uh, some type of juice, and, and have communion. Have communion. Look at verse 43. Then fear. This is reverential. Reverential. <laughs> you guys can figure that out. Reverence type fear. How's that? They were in awe of the King James, or, or the, the Greek says they were in awe. Then fear came uh, upon every soul, and many wonders, miracles, signs, and wonders were done through the apostles. And I need to make this comment. It's interesting how when you first come to saving grace, so many new spiritual things are happening in and through your life. I can still recall 30 plus years ago, God was answering prayer. It just seemed like anything we asked of him, he just answered it right away. We saw healings back in the day. We still see healings today. Somebody asking for a new job, we prayed for them, and lo and behold, they got a new job. And other family members, we prayed for their salvation, and God saved them. And so when you're new, when you're fresh, I mean, you are relying upon the Holy Spirit, and you see his work. You see the effective work. Now, it's later as we get older, and faith comes in, and we're tested, and sometimes I make a prayer now, and, and sometimes it's days, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months, sometimes it's even years, but God will answer your prayer. And so what was going on here? Fear came upon them, this reverential fear, uh, this awe that was like, what is going on? And now uh, the apostles. They were praying. Miracle signs and wonders came forth. Now all who believed, verse 44, were together and had all things in common. Now pay attention to this because we'll see it later. They had the same mind, the same heart, the same direction. Unity in Christ. And their whole direction is Jesus. He says that then what you have, Give it away. This is the communal service. And the early church did that. They brought everything together and they gave it away. But stay with me. It was communal type living, but it didn't work. It didn't work. And later, Paul has to go uh, to the Gentiles and he collects finances to help the Jerusalem church. And they were blown away because they said the Holy Spirit, salvation could not be for the Gentiles. That's for the Jews only. Uh, God had to teach them a lesson. And one of the movies I saw of Paul the Apostle, uh, when they were arguing about the Gentiles and this and that, uh, they were, you know, they were dogs. That's what they considered. They were unclean. And, and Paul says, well, here's what, and I'm just going to paraphrase it for me. Here's what the dogs gave you. And, and they Paul pours out the gold and the silver. 
the Gentiles were touched by the Spirit of God. And they brought in the finances. Interesting. Interesting. Notice in the communal living in verse 45, and they sold their possessions and, and their goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. This is beautiful. And even today, you should be willing to give whatever God's given you. And that's a, not an easy place because there are always going to be those that take advantage of you. And so you're careful. You're careful. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Let me share this. The hardest part for me is when people give to me. I'm not accustomed to that. I like to give. I'm considered myself, Lord, whatever you give, I'll give it back. And I like to give to others. Some of you like to give to others. I have to share this. Some of you know, some of you don't know. Out in the parking lot, I have a 2008 SUV Ford, fully equipped. I could not afford that. 2008 Thanksgiving Day, that truck was delivered to Mary and I. Everything was paid. Unbelievable. I cried like a baby. Did we need a vehicle? Yes. But the hardest part is trying to explain to people, Pastor Bob, where'd you get that SUV? Well, we took an extra collection. No. <laughs> it was a gift of God. It was a gift of God. Notice now, verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord, the same mindset, the same heart set, and that was Christ and one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food, their meat, their foods, with gladness and simplicity of heart. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You see, we're just a drop in the bucket when we give away 31 Thanksgiving baskets. It's a drop in the bucket. But I tell you what, I love when the people come. We put a CD and we put a, a bulletin and we tell everybody, you know, God bless you. We get to pray with some of them. And some of them are repeat. They came last year or the year before. And they know that we'll provide a bird for them and the trimmings. And you know what? <laughs> On Tuesday we were done, but there was a, a few more birds in the freezer. We said, well, we'll use them for uh, the Christmas dinner. Well, lo and behold, on Wednesday, somebody, two people needed them, so praise God. Notice that the Greek says they went from various houses to various houses. And the conclusion, what were they doing besides breaking bread together? But praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily uh, to those who were being saved. The early church grew leaps and bounds. Uh, back in verse 41, 3,000 souls had come to saving grace. Here it tells us that the Lord kept adding uh, to the church daily. And listen. For the last 2,000 years. What a beautiful picture. You're part of Acts 29. So many people think Acts 28 is done and complete. It's in the books. There's no period at the end. It's still being written today. You're part of the Acts 29 church when you think about that. And look what God's done. Look at the resources that we have. There's so many out there. Your generosity. You're returning to that store when they gave you too much change and you're in the parking lot and you see it's two bucks, three bucks, or maybe it's change. And then the Spirit of God says, take it back. And so you get off the car and you go back and you stun them. They say, why'd you do that? I can't. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Christ. This 56 cents, I can't. It's not mine. It's not mine. It's not mine. How many times we said, oh, Lord, why don't you have me follow a Brinks truck? 
And oops, the door opened. And I went, stop. I even blinked my lights. And he made the corner, so I figured, hey, the bag's mine. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, you and 25,000 other people. Everybody came to a stop. The Holy Spirit leads and guides and directs the church. We cannot move forward without the Holy Spirit. And I look and see what God's done here in the last 30 plus years. How many churches have come out of this church? How many pastors have come out of this church? It's just amazing to me. And that's all part of the church, the body of Christ. And so, if you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, today is the day of Pentecost for you. Let's all stand and we'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. We ask you to go before us in everything that we do, Lord, to give you the honor and the glory and the praise. And Lord, I pray this morning if there's anybody here that has never received Christ, today is the day of their salvation. With every eye closed, every head bowed, uh, maybe that's you this morning. You want me to say a quick prayer with you? I will. If you'd like to receive Christ, raise your hand real quick. Anybody here? I see your hand way in the back. Anybody else would like to receive Christ? And let me ask the second question. Maybe you're here and you're in a backslidden condition. You'd like to rededicate that life. Don't be embarrassed. If that's you, raise your hand real quick, and I'll say a simple prayer of faith with you. Anybody before we end? Praise the Lord. Let's pray then. Okay, there's somebody in the back there. Praise the Lord. Father, as we pray, as we seek your face, uh, we pray for this one lady that uh, wants to receive you as Lord and Savior into her heart. Lord, Forgive her of all her sins. Cleanse her and wash her. Make her fresh and anew. And fill her with your spirit. Fill her, Lord, with a desire to, and a hunger uh, to thirst after righteousness. To, to thirst for your word. And so, Father, go before her. And, Lord, those also making rededications, uh, you know who they are, Lord. And we pray as they rededicate their life to you. They're tired of, of meandering. They're tired of, of running astray. Uh, Lord, bring them back into the sheepfold and use them for your glory. And, Lord, we also pray for those that are, are truly seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that your spirit would fall upon them afresh and anew uh, even here this morning. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for the offerings this morning that as you've given to us, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.